You came here with such hope and determination, and look at you now. Mankind did this to you. Join me in the fight, and we can destroy them forever. Look at them and tell me I'm wrong. These humans are unworthy of your sympathy in every way. They're everything you say they are, but they're capable of so much more. Lies! They do not deserve your protection. It is not about deserve. It's about what you believe. And I believe in love. Then I shall destroy you. Goodbye, brother. Today, we're talking about Wonder Woman. Welcome to Pop Culture Catechism. Conversations about music, movies, and the longings of the human heart. Let's get started. When you look out at the world and you see everything that's going on in it, all the good and the bad, do you ever wonder, are humans worth it? Can humans even be redeemed? Are we even a positive influence on this planet? Would it be better if we weren't around? Are we making the world better? Are we making the world worse? How do we handle all this suffering in the world? Is there anything we can do about it? What can we do about it? And how do we face it both in our own lives and our mission in the world? Do we have a calling to do something about it or is it too far beyond us? Those are all questions that are tackled in the DC Comics movies, Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman 1984. And we're going to talk about them today. I am happy to welcome to the show a collaborator of mine from the past few years and someone who's become a friend of mine through various ministry things that we've done, Ogechi Akalaberi, who is a youth minister at one of the, the big parishes in our area. It's kind of a hub of youth ministry for the entire area, uh, St. Rose of Lima. Shout out to Saint, my St. Saint Rose peeps. Uh, she's also uh, a weightlifter, which I love because I'm also a weightlifter, and she is uh, the recipient of the 2021 Cardinal Bernadine New Leadership Award from the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops and their anti-poverty campaign, the Catholic Campaign for Human Development. And she just does a lot of awesome work. And she was talking about Wonder Woman the other day, and I ran into her this summer, and we were talking about how we could, we wanted to collaborate for a while, and so this is the episode we're going to do. If you don't know who my name, I am, I am Mike Tenney, Catholic speaker and worship leader from Washington, D.C. I spent over a decade teaching Catholic high school theology and also trying to make it big as a rock star at night. And now I'm blessed to speak to thousands of people each year through various events all over the place and through this show, Pop Culture Catechism. This is Pop Culture Catechism, the gospel according to pop music and movies, where we look for God's love in the movies and the music and the shows that we're plugged into. So then when we unplug, we can actually go out in the world and love people and know God's love for us. And our goal by the end of this episode is not only are you going to have a deeper appreciation for the Wonder Woman movies, but also have some ideas for how today to know God's love more in your own life and how to share that love with other people. I want to give a special shout out and thank you to all our patrons who make this show possible through their patronage at popculturecatechism.com. I want to welcome to our show, Ogechi Akalaberi. Ogechi, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we've been, I appreciate the invite. Yeah, we, we've been talking about doing this uh, for a while. And I, I ran into you this summer at the Encounter of the Gospel of Life uh, reunion. I was like, I, I've been meaning to have you on the show. And you're like, yeah, let's talk about it. And then I saw you post something that you did with your with your youth group about Wonder Woman. I was like, this is it. This is where it's going to happen right now. <laughs> so thanks for being with me. Yeah. So tell us a little Thank bit about you. uh, about yourself and what you do, because you do a lot. Yes, I'm a woman of many hats and I I like it that way. But I am first and foremost, I always describe myself as Nigerian American. 
I grew up in the Gaithersburg area most of my life, and St. Rose is my home parish. So it's a very full circle moment to serve as the director of youth and young adult ministry now at St. Rose. Um, previous to that, I did work at an all-girls Catholic school as a service coordinator, and I've had a lot of different jobs in social service and nonprofit work. So mission and service has always been something that's a part of who I am. I'm the oldest of four, and I have been married for five years. So that's, that's awesome. a little bit about me, and I'm really happy to be here and nerd out about movies and theology. Yeah, <laughs> and and tell me, me too. It's why I started a podcast about this. But I, uh, I forgot. It was maybe about a year ago. I was at my parents' house in Gaithersburg, and they, I was helping them like move some stuff from a storage unit. And you were there, like getting furniture for refugees or something like that. Can you tell us a little yes. bit about that? One of the ministries that we have at St. Rose is a refugee ministry, and it's uh, kind of like a grassroots group of retirees and different people, not just from St. Rose, but from other faith backgrounds, and they work together to collect furniture from people that are donating furniture, and then that furniture then gets distributed to newly arrived refugees in the area, and they could be in Montgomery County or in Laurel or different areas of the region. And I, I just wanted to do my part and use my strength <laughs> mm -hmm. to help lift some furniture because some of the volunteers are a little bit older and can't do some of the heavy lifting. And it was really nice to just see how dedicated people were to this specific group of um, newly arrived people. You hear a lot of noise about like immigrants and refugees, and it was nice to have a tangible way of helping them. Yeah, that was awesome. I, I also feel like uh, in, in the past few years, as there has been so much discussion in our country and in our world about racism and the legacy of racism in this world, I know, especially in the Archdiocese of Washington, a lot of people have kind of looked to you for some leadership and some, some clarity on stuff. <laughs> Maybe that's an understatement. <laughs> and it's, I mean, I don't know if it's an understatement or yeah. overstatement. I feel like there's so many people that have great wisdom to share about oh, yeah, it. Of course, of and course, I'm just yeah. lucky to be a, mm -hmm. counted amongst the many. Um, but yes, I have been blessed to be able to give insight about the beauty of the diversity of the church, not just from someone that is Black, but also Black female immigrants. I've also been able to wax poetic about one of my favorite future saints, Sister Thea Bowman, mm -hmm. who is a powerhouse in the yeah. church and has a documentary coming out nice. actually in October. And um, I really feel like being a young adult in, in on mission means using your voice. And however I can use my voice to advocate for the diversity of our parish and the beauty of that and the necessity of equity in our in our religion is really important. So mm -hmm. I'm glad to be able to do it. Good. I'm glad, I'm glad you feel that way. And I, I want to I, thank you. Thank you for your leadership. I, I feel like a lot of parishes were like, uh, how do we talk about this? Who can we get to talk about this? Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's get her. <laughs> so thank you for that. I know it's, I know it's not easy work. So thank you. No, for your, for your work there. All right. So, uh, you, uh, I think you posted on Instagram that you had done a youth meeting where you were talking about spiritual themes within Wonder Woman. I was like, that's my show. Let's do it. So uh, if you're not familiar with Wonder Woman, she has been a comic book for for years, like back since like the 30s. And uh, a few years ago with uh, DC Comics trying to start their uh, 
DC cinematic universe to try to match the Marvel cinematic universe. They, you know, it was a Superman movie, Batman movie, Batman versus Superman, Aquaman movie, and the Wonder Woman movie, I think by many is considered to be maybe the best or one of the best of the DC comics uh, movies. Wonder Woman 1984, not so much. We might talk about that one a little bit, but uh, we're going to focus primarily on the first movie. And uh, so tell us, uh, first of all, before we get into some of the themes, just artistically as a movie, what do you think is good about this movie? Um, Okay, so the first thing that I loved about the movie was the use, artistically, the use of color, just the brightness and the the sharp contrast of color in on the island that the the women are when Gal and her tribe of people, the Amazons, mm-hmm. are there. Just the use of color to depict how joyful and purposeful they felt on that island. And then the color grade shifts to a darker color once uh, Steve comes into the picture. You notice that it's a little bit, there's now evil has entered into the scene and um, it's not Steve that's being evil, but just the awareness of the evil that exists out. And they're kind of in this utopian bliss before that. So the colors are bright and then they they become darker and it stays dark pretty much throughout the movie. Um, There's like a little bit of brightness when they have that, that battle in that small town and Mm. they have that tiny victory um, but really, the color gradient stays dark. And I mean, they're in London, so no offense to London. <laughs> it's, a pretty cloudy, it's a pretty cloudy town. That's but, right. um, and during that time with all the industrial evolutions and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But yeah. I think that color choice was, was to depict kind of the darkness. And it is at its darkest when she's battling Aries. Yeah, I think you're right. I hadn't noticed that, but now that you mentioned it, it's it's very clear. And I think there is kind of this sense of the the Amazon island, I forget what it's called, but it is kind of a utopia. It's it's almost like Garden of Eden-esque. And mm-hmm. Diana, I think in a lot of ways, and we'll get more into this in the themes, but I think in a lot of ways she represents kind of the goodness of humanity and the best of humanity, almost like almost like a Eve before the fall, you know, sort of sort of figure. So I really love, um, I thought the costumes were awesome and just kind of the, the vision of the Amazon culture was really beautiful. And they're like riding horses and, you know, doing combat and beautiful Island and everything. And then that clat that initial clash when the German U boat or is a ship comes up and there's this battle between them and, uh, the Germans. And it, it is just a kind of a clash of like be- beauty versus like dirtiness you know like the, yes. the, the the dirt and pollution and corruption of the world so I, I think they did that that really really well so anything else artistically about the movie before we dive into themes um i also liked how they didn't overemphasize the romance mm. between her and steve they, yeah. it was there and it was beautiful um i think in 1984 it was like too much mm. to her detriment um but in this movie you get the idea that there's a tension there's a connection there but she still stays on mission and so her her character maintains her strength her her independence in being able to do what she believes she needs to do throughout the movie without being heavily distracted by this man so to speak 
Yeah, and it, it seemed like they were very focused on on the mission together. Like clearly, they're falling in love, but they're also focused yes. on like what they need to do. Um, and I, I even love the 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 part where they kind of like get together and kiss for the first time. I think most Hollywood movies would be like, "All right, and here's our sex scene," and Gal Gadot is yes. super sexy, so here's our chance to show you some of her body, you know. And they didn't do that at all. Like, there's it's kind of implied that they did something mm-hmm. physical together, but it, it doesn't say that they had sex and they definitely I, I think there many Hollywood directors would have been like, all right, we got our sexy movie star. Let's show as much as her as we can get away with with a PG thirteen rating, you know? And yes, they yeah. didn't do that. So I really I really respected that and I thought that was a, a good choice. And it and it fit, I think, with Diana's character, you know, that she's this very noble, honorable, you know, woman who's gonna who's gonna do what's right. You know, she's she's not gonna probably fall into bed with a guy on the first, you know, the first night, that sort of thing. So I thought, yes, I thought yes. that, that spoke to her character. So, and Steve too, Steve is supposed to, supposed to be an honorable. He's very guy, honorable. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I think that was a great way of pro- producing and showing a moment without overshowing a moment. And that, yeah. that idea of leaving things to the imagination sometimes gets missed in movies. And it was really nice that they kept that. It was yeah. great for me because then I could show it to kids, <laughs> yeah. teenagers, and not be like, "Oh no, yeah. what's, ha- what's going to go on Pro- next?" Probably would not have been a youth night movie. <laughs> no, no. And uh, yeah, I, I get what you mean about the the second movie with uh, the romance. I think maybe Gal Gadot. I I've, I feel like she is awesome at like the action scenes and all that, but she doesn't like the 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 more emotional scenes. Like she doesn't. I don't know if she's she's as good at communicating that. I don't know. I don't know anything about acting, so maybe it just struck me that way. But um, that was that was my sense. Nineteen eighty four was definitely zanier. It was a little goofier. It was a little more like the Thor movies, um, which I, I didn't I didn't mind. Everyone said nineteen eighty four was so terrible, and when I watched it, it was I was like, this isn't this isn't bad. Like it's not as good as the first one. But I, I didn't I didn't think it was as as terrible as a lot of people said. There's like if you go on Amazon, it's got like two star reviews or something. Like it's that. not that terrible, but. Yeah. Put it up against the original, which was so good. It yeah. is, it is not as good. Agreed. Um, but I like that it was filmed in Washington D.C. Yeah, and there's actually cool. a cameo yeah. from a St. Rose of Lima parishioner, oh. Mr. Joe Palka, who oh, plays nice. one of the extras. So that was really cool to oh, see. That's so neat. Yeah, it was cool. um, like walking across, like when Kristen Wiig's character is like walking across the bridge. I was like, I've walked across that bridge. Like it's it's all places that I know really exactly. well. Exactly. So cool. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I loved Kristen Wiig's character. I thought she was she was great. It was nice to see her in something that wasn't just comedic. I thought she did great. So all right, so let's get into. Um, you know, you decided to show this to a bunch of youth group kids, and like let's let's kind of go theme by theme. What's the the first thing that made you say, Oh, this is, this would be a good thing that we could actually pull some good themes from. So it was, it was actually between this movie and holes. And I had just been in this mindset of just thinking deeply overthinking about movies, which is I'm an overthinker. So of course, overthinking about movies would be something that I do. But um, I liked the first, the theme of mercy or forgiveness, mm. that was just something that struck me, especially in the dialogue from the beginning that we just did between yeah. Aries and Diana. I think that that was overwhelmingly a huge part of the movie, being able to recognize that her mission wasn't to like save them from themselves, but to give them an op- a new opportunity to redeem themselves. And I think that's what mercy allows for us sometimes. And, um, then another theme was well, grace. Let's, let, hold on, let's 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 stay there for a minute because I think that <laughs> yes. is in church we can we can so easily 
I know for me, so I was like, yeah, mercy, forgiveness, go to confession or whatever. But like, I think I want to stay there for a minute because this is like set during World War One. Like it was, you know, country, you know, this nation state and this nation state and this nation state just all building these huge armies to like show how awesome they are. And they're all making these treaties. And it's like, you know, it's often described as like a powder keg. And they're just like showing off. It's like my country's the best. No, my country's the best. It's this huge rise of nationalism. And it's kind of a war over nothing. You know, it's it's not like one country, you know, it just kind of got set off by this this assassination that happened and all this nationalist fervor. And you can even read uh, it's kind of something that infected the world, this nationalism. You can even read documents from the bishops at the beginning, the United States bishops at the beginning of World War One, where they're saying like, yes, this is a this is a great thing because we're fighting for our country. And then it's just like hell on earth, millions of people dying over yards of land and like chemical gases. Uh, you know, people, this is like where PTSD, oh, it was called shell shock from the artillery. Like that's where that first became like a well-known phenomenon. It was just the the world changed so much because it was like the worst humanity had ever seen you know in, in so much of the of the 1900s sorry i'm, a, I'm a, a philosophy guy but in so much of the 1900s and coming out of the enlightenment so much of the ideas of the enlightenment was we're going to make this utopia on earth because look we can do all this science and look we have all these great philosophical ideas like democracy and we have all this great technology and we're going to be able to feed the world and change the world and make it in our own image and we don't even need god anymore because we can change the world and what did we do with all that technology we killed hundreds of millions of people with it like that's yes, and yes. so the idea that even in the midst of that the worst that the world had ever seen that still she's like, but they deserve a chance that they deserve a mm-hmm. chance. Like, I think a lot of people at that time would look at the world and say, no humanity. You don't, you know, it's, it's not really worth it. Um, so I think, I, I think of, um, the scripture passage that comes to mind is, uh, how many times must I forgive my brother as many as seven times? It's like uh, 70 times, seven times, like <laughs> infinitely Absolutely. more than that, you know? Yes. Um, which is difficult. Because like somebody hurts me twice and I'm like, no, you're dead to me. You know, <laughs> Los Muertos. You're, it's, three it's, strikes. Yeah. Three strikes and you're out. Um, so I don't, I don't know. That, maybe is, is that, um, maybe you're more saintly than me and that's easy for you, but that's really hard for me. <laughs> it's, it's very hard. And I, so that's what struck me because forgiveness in general is a countercultural concept. It's, it's like, it almost seems like it goes against physics every action deserves an equal and opposite reaction. And yet we don't do, we're called to go against culture. We're called to go against that human tendency for revenge. And even in action movies, how many action movies are based off of revenge and we're rooting for the the demise of the person that did wrong. There's so many of those Liam Neeson <laughs> movies yeah. mm-hmm. where all he does is seek revenge. Yeah, And yet, she's not seeking revenge on the behalf of the gods or, or anything like that. She is reminding people that they have another opportunity for mercy. And I love the scene where Dr. Poison is, you know, her eye covering is blown off and she's crawling on the ground and Diana has the opportunity to really just kill her. She represents the worst of the worst. She's using mm-hmm. all that the intellect that we've been blessed with, the science that we've been blessed with to torture and kill as heinously as possible. 
Mm. And she would have every opportunity, every right to destroy her. And yet she does it. And that, it, that really shook me. I was like, what? Yeah. Any other movie, any other human would have destroyed her immediately. And that doesn't happen. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that idea sometimes called the myth of redemptive violence. The idea that, just like you said, uh, every action deserves an equal and opposite reaction, an eye for an eye. Um, you know, which is from the Old Testament and was supposed to be a limit. You know, if somebody hurts you, you don't get to kill them. Like it's it's supposed to be, you know, a, a a limit on on retributive violence. But Jesus goes the next step. You know, he says, "I don't just want justice; I want mercy." You know, I want to, mm-hmm. I want love, you know, it's not just about doing what's fair. It's about going beyond what's fair to doing what's loving, to being heroic. And that's like what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. Someone asks you to go one mile with them, or it makes you go one mile with them, go two miles with them. And that is absolutely countercultural. Um, and even seems like stupid and foolish. You know, St. Paul says, you know, it's, uh, you know, living for Christ, it, we, we seem like fools to people. We seem like idiots for living this way and embracing the cross. But uh, yeah, I, I think you're, Absolutely right. And I, I'd, I'd forgotten that scene where she has the chance to kill like the evil doctor. Yes. But, uh, yeah. And we like to believe this is a turning point in her life because when we receive like unexplainable mercy or a second chance, um, we like to believe that people's lives are changed and they go in the right direction. And maybe she, she does, she changes her, her ways. Who knows? It's not yeah. sh- shared in a movie. But that's not up up to us to to just determine. We are we are just called to give that. And when we do the equal and opposite, it balances out to zero. But if we mm. do the extra mercy, you gain more. What is gained is the you know scientifically, if we we're doing the arrow or whatever in physics, <laughs> there would be a positive direction going one way versus equaling out into zero. And I think that's better to put out in the world. Yeah. I love it. Something kind of kind of related to this. There's kind of a question behind all this that the movie is implying is, are humans fundamentally good or bad? Are humans fundamentally good or evil? And that's something theologians have argued about, like, you know, Martin Luther and John Calvin during the Reformation were very much like, nope, total depravity. Humans are absolutely awful. I think Martin Luther used the image of, you know, the human person is like poop and then the grace of God is just like snow. So it's just like poop covered in snow. You're still poop, but God's grace has like covered you and made you less offensive. Um, Or he uses the example of a courtroom where like a guilty person who absolutely is 100% guilty and everyone knows, but just happens to meet a merciful judge. And the merciful judge is like, I know you're guilty, but I'm going to declare you innocent, even though you're, you're guilty beyond the shadow of a doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, the Catholic understanding is, is, is softer than that. It's no, we're good at our root. We're not poop. We're beloved children of God, but we are like really broken and we can't fix that brokenness on our own. We absolutely need the the grace of God to overcome that brokenness, but fundamentally at our core, we are beloved, his beloved children. And um, I think that's important both when we're talking about forgiveness and mercy, but both when we're, we're looking at ourselves, right? Because it's not just other people that are sinners. Like I'm, I'm a sinner. Like I hurt people. I hurt people all the time with, on, you know, sometimes on purpose, sometimes not on purpose, just because I'm, I'm sinful and petty sometimes. And it's sometimes hard to even look at myself be like, am, am I worth it? You know, like, am, am I good? Am, you know, underneath all this brokenness and, and, and pain, is there, you know, am I good underneath it all? Um, anyway, and I, f- I feel like this question is really asking, or this movie is really asking that question. 
I agree. And I think that for, there's two questions here. The question is, do are other people worthy of our forgiveness or our mercy? But then also, do we believe that we're worthy of the ongoing forgiveness and mercy and mm-hmm. grace that we receive from God? And I think sometimes it's easier to give <laughs> than receive. Yeah. And so while we might be like, oh, yes, I can be that kind of like tiny martyr and give the other cheek yet again and again, are we willing to go to reconciliation regularly and receive the grace of forgiveness? Are we willing to empty ourselves in front of the Eucharist and receive the graces within? Are we, do we really believe that we're worthy? Because if we, we believe we're worthy, then we can believe that our neighbor is worthy and we act accordingly. That's very easy to say. And I, that is something I've struggled with immensely. I can forgive people. It's not that I'm like happy about it, but I (laughs) do it because that's what the Bible teaches, Mm -hmm. but forgiving myself for mistakes that I've made that I've sometimes not hurt anyone, but myself Mm -hmm. um, can be really hard. And then when you have repetitive people that have addictions or people that have really deep seated patterns of behavior, it can be even harder to forgive yourself because you recognize that you continue to fall. And um, it reminds me of the prodigal son and how God rejoices in our rising up from those falls. So that doesn't mean we should continue to fall, but our human nature is to fall sometimes. But what makes us disciples is the rising up from those falls and continuing to walk towards our father. So I think that is the key part. And I really, I like to believe that Dr. Poison becomes a saint (laughs) (laughs) in in the the DC universe. Mm. Um, And that's her conversion story. That's awesome. I'm, I'm looking for a quote here from Pope Benedict's. That is exactly what you're talking about. Um, yeah, I might just have to paraphrase it, but it's it's something about um, you know holiness is not just like this pious perfection. You know, it's not it's it's not the exteriors like really, and it, it's not even not sinning consistently. What real holiness is is like continuing on the journey. And just what you said, like being a disciple, following Christ in his discipline, that's got the same root word as disciple, like continually following the discipline and the teachings of Christ. And even if you fail, get up and and then trying again and and recognizing that God's mercy is unending and, you know, even seems to us reckless as that famous worship song (laughs) says, you know, that like, why would God forgive me after all this? Why would God forgive that person? Why should I forgive that person after all this? Uh, you used the word worthy. And I think, uh, especially for, for some Christians, uh, like especially evangelical Christians, that word worthy is almost like a trigger point because they're like, no, we're not worthy, right? Because we're poop covered in snow, right? We're, we're not worthy at all. Only Christ is worthy. Only he is worthy. And that's true in one sense. If we're talking about our broken human nature and like, I can never earn my salvation, right? Nothing I can ever mm-hmm. do can earn God's love, can never earn my way to heaven, can never make me worthy, not by my own actions, right? That's kind of a fake perfectionism, a fake piousness that Pope Benedict was talking about. But fundamentally, I'm still created good by God and I am worthy. And if I, if I say that I'm totally unworthy, then I'm saying like, 
uh, it's actually a condemnation of God because God made me, yeah. <laughs> right? So if in we believe his in image a good, and likeness, yes, yes, yes. If we believe in a good God, then we have to believe in our own goodness because we are creations of God and made in his image and likeness. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, thank Absolutely. you for, for pointing us back to Genesis. <laughs> yes. Yeah, amen. Uh, so now n- there's not just human wickedness here because Ares is like this God of war and mm-hmm. he is kind of poisoning people's minds, which from a Christian point of view makes me think of Satan, the devil, the, the accuser as the word Satan means in, in, in Hebrew. And I don't know. I, I, I struggle sometimes with the concept of the devil because I never want to be like, Oh, the devil made me do it. Oh, that was just my temptation. That wasn't me. It can be kind of a way to shirk responsibility, you know, but at the same time, I feel like sometimes there are thoughts that come into my head and temptations that come into my head that are just like, not me, you know, they come from somewhere else. I don't know. Have you ever experienced anything like that? Yes. Yes. You almost feel like, but not possessed in the, in that literal term, but almost Mm -hmm. feels, feels like it's like when someone puts a blanket over you and it's like, you can't, you can free yourself, but it's also this blanket is around you and you didn't put it here. So what's going on? Um, and I, I, I agree that sometimes people can use the existence of the devil as a scapegoat for our free and ability, uh, free ability to have free will to make our choices None of us are being held down, you know, by the devil to make those decisions that are bad. But yet there is a a very manipulative and almost interconnectedness between evil and human tendencies that sometimes can be hard to separate. And I think yeah. we see it in the movie with, at, listen, when the students got to the part where they realized that I don't remember his name was Aries. They were like, mm-hmm. oh, he was, but he was <laughs> just like, what's going on? He was helping. Yeah. I would not have known him to be mm-hmm. Aries. The other guy looked more obvious, but that is sometimes how the devil works in yeah. the, in the in, inexplainable, in the, in the shadows, sometimes mixing half truths and some goods with evil. That's sometimes how, evil continues to permeate in our lives. Um, and so I just found that the way that they did that in the movie, I was like, I don't know who there's a Catholic in this, in this writing room. <laughs> there's some of this Catholic in this writing room because I was just like, of course that's the devil because of mm-hmm. course it's not the obvious evil guy. It's the yeah. person that plays both sides and plays humans as a puppet, but we are not mm-hmm. puppets. We are fully formed very conscious beings that can make critical choices, but we have to continuously be able to recognize the ways that the devil develops and continues to evolve in how he influences our decisions. And we can only recognize that if we are stayed connected with in our prayer life and with God and asking the Holy Spirit to guide us. If we like ever, if I ever like, I'm like, I'm good. And like, I got it. That is literally where the devil is like, and here we go. (laughs) And that blanket comes and you're just like, wait a minute. But if you like, as the, as the hip kids say, if you stay prayed up, 
and you stay like asking the Holy Spirit um, to open your eyes to kind of the insidiousness that it, that might exist, um, you're a little bit more protected and you can make better choices. Doesn't Absolutely. mean you'll always make the right one, but yeah. you can see what needs to be seen. Mm-hmm. I love that. Stay prayed up. That's good. I'm not. I'm not as down with the lingo anymore that I'm not in the classroom <laughs> consistently. So my, my knowledge of teenage slang is a few years old. So um, that's awesome. I, uh, you know, I've I love C.S. Lewis and his uh, book, The Screw Tape Letters, is all about like demonic temptation and exactly what we're talking about. But one of the things he says in that book is that the, the devil has kind of two desires for for a person, and he doesn't really care which one it is. Is on the one hand, he wants you to like really, really be interested and like love him and like, like devil worship, that sort of thing. And he says the other one is like complete indifference and like don't even think about him at all. And he's like, that's the devil is just as happy with both. Like if you are just not even worried about him at all and you just think all this stuff that comes into your mind is, is just you, like he's just as happy with that. He's just as happy to be the, the, the guy at the edge of the screen who you don't notice and you don't think is a problem. He's just as happy to work there as if you're like going and, you know, doing satanic rituals. Um, and I know, like, I love what you said. Like it's, we got to, go to prayer. We got to go to the sacraments because that's, that's where we find our strength. So yeah. I love at the end, Steve's sacrifice. Um, because of course, Diana has got to be the one to like kick Aries, butt. but I love that they make the victory at the end of the movie contingent upon like a normal human having to do something mm-hmm. heroic and like having to sacrifice. Um, yeah, so I, I I really love that. And even in, in 1984, Diana is still wrestling with that sacrifice, like, because she wants him back, you know? <laughs> she yes. makes this wish to get him back, and he's like, you got to let me go. You got to let me go. And she's like, you know, so I, I really love that. In that sense, he's a bit of a martyr, right? Yeah. He mm-hmm. kind of plays a martyr role. And um, in 1984, it was interesting. That really is what kind of annoyed me, because I was like, that was such a good thing that happened. <laughs> And you want him back, and there's like a selfishness now that's playing into your character that should not exist because you're supposed to be really noble. And you felt it, it was almost like she had existed in on Earth. I don't know how much time was it, seventy years since yeah. Steve died. She had existed on Earth, and maybe humanity has permeate, permeated into her. And you could also recognize that she may have, like, her godlike abilities and the things that she was trained on while she was on the island had fallen away. And so she, in that moment of temptation, she succumbed to not her nobility, but the humanity that existed, not within her because she's a god, but, like, Mm -hmm. she kind of mimicked human tendencies and wishing for Steve to come back. And... um, it was interesting that near the end of that movie, Steve even is encouraging her to remind her and he, he reminds her of her mission. He reminds her who she is to be. And that's when she starts to fly. And I was like, Oh yeah, it is after that, that she gets to fly. I don't, and I didn't remember yes. her ever flying. I don't know if that's something they made up for she, the movie or if she that is just in the comics, jumped so. um, from place to place and kind of like held in the sky. But yeah, this uh, was like Superman style flying. And so mm. I was like, is this an evolution of her mm. understanding of who she is and her abilities? But 
Yeah, it was like she she was she was losing her powers and she was getting beat up and shot and all sorts of things when she was holding on to this wish to keep Steve. But then once she let him go, doesn't she doesn't just get her powers back, but she like you kind of said, she like kind of evolves and goes into the next the next level. And she's even more powerful. Um, Yeah. You know, and it's it, it, of course, as a Christian, that makes me think of the cross cross is when you embrace your suffering, you know, and unite it to the cross of Christ like. God takes you to the next level. Like that's what resurrection is all about. That's what healing is all about. You know, we don't have a whole lot of time left here, but I I wanted to, there was a couple other things that, that you mentioned you loved about this uh, movie thematically. Do you want to give us, give us a couple others that you talked about with your youth? Absolutely. So um, definitely grace that the theme of um, not being able to earn it, but by our own efforts, but just it being given freely and, um, the 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 phrase that Diana says it's not what they deserves it's about what you believe and I believe in love and I think um, that was just something that I I highlighted to them because I feel like the madness of humanity sometimes we feel like we don't have the right to ask for or to 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 take upon the grace that God give God gives us but we need it so much to combat evil. And those graces are found in the sacraments and found in continued relationship with God. And then, of course, unity and diversity. I I wrote a blog post about this movie back when it came out. And I can't believe I did all this research, but all the different heritages and the casting of Gal and then Eugene Blackrock from the Blackfoot First Nations in Canada, Saeed, who's of Moroccan descent, and of course, um, homie who plays steve what's his name <laughs> uh, chris fine <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah um and so the unity and the diversity of the cast and not just in their cultural makeup but also in the different gifts and skills that they brought to the mission um and the different backstories and experiences that they had thus you talk about ptsd the one character that had ptsd and it was beautifully exemplified there and the role of people in First Nations and how this nationalism is existing, but their nation has been taken from them or attempted to be taken from them. And that character exemplifies kind of that neutrality that he had in that, in that war, but also the diversity that we have in our Catholic Church and the diversity of cultures and languages, but also the way that we are able to use our gifts, whether it's music, the type of dress, um, I think the cast the the casting was great. I really think that the costuming was great, and I also think that um, I like to think of my youth group as a a hodgepodge of kids that maybe out in the wild of high school and middle school they would never be friends, which yeah. is totally fine. And so it's kind of like the group of outcasts in Wonder Woman. They probably would never have gotten together as friends if left to their own devices, but because of this mission or our shared faith, they come together on Wednesday nights and join in youth groups. So I was like, there's such different people with totally different personalities, but they're able to work together and unite and bond. And I think that's kind of what I love the most about our Wednesday night youth group. So that was really cool to see in a film and and explain to them in person. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of times in 21st century America, we forget how central the idea of like unifying across cultures was to the early church. And you see yes. that all through Paul's letters, like there's this incredibly stark 
Jewish Gentile divide. And then within the Gentiles, there's like, you know, they're all over the Roman empire and throughout the new Testament, you see Jesus and you see the apostles. And especially in the book of revelation, it's from all nations, from all nations and tribes. And there's this, uh, in the, the book of revelation that talks about how, you know, what was the number of those who are, who are saved? It's like 144,000, you know, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, but then they turn around and it's like a multitude from every nation that no one can count and how radical that was. You know, it seems kind of normal to us growing up in 21st century America. Like, yeah, we, we love everybody. We're all one, one family, you know, at least we're supposed to be, even if we don't always act like that, but that is was radical for Jesus's day and age. And it is central to the gospel. Um, this, so I, and I've experienced very much what you described at, at your youth group in the church. And I know that's not everybody's experience of church. Some people's experience of churches, you know, I'm the only one of my ethnicity I've ever seen at church, you know, and they, they don't speak my language and they can't pronounce my name. Um, but you know, that's, that's been my experience growing up in this area, which is, is super diverse is, I got to become friends. I got to know people and hear their stories that were from totally different backward, back, backgrounds, you know, refugees from other countries and, and yes. immigrants and people that grew up with, you know, way more than me and way less than me. So, um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's easier to, easy to gloss over the importance of that. Yes. And I think that it's also easy to gloss over the importance of, especially with young people, they are not the future of the church. I really hate that sentiment so much because that just puts a, a, a pause in their action. They're the, the current of the church. And so showing them that in, right now they're valuable just as they are. And there's like nothing that they need to do to earn value in the church. They just are. And so whatever your gifts are, whatever you can or cannot contribute, you're a valuable member of, of this team, so to speak. This mission of bringing love and God's word into the world, you can do it in whatever way you are. And we have kids, we just, we have kids that are autistic. We have kids that are complete nerds, just like the nerdiest of them all. We have the cool kids, we have the popular kids, and they are all valuable. And I think that is something that doesn't get highlighted enough. There's no one way to be a cool Catholic kid. Um, There's no one way to earn your stripes, so to speak, after confirmation. I think sometimes there's a barrier to entry for some kids after confirmation and they feel like they need to be this certain way in order to feel like they they, they belong. And that's absolutely not true. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's been my experience. And again, I know it's not everybody's experience. So maybe some of the listeners are listening saying, ah, oh, church was the most youth group is the most judgmental place I've ever been to. And you know, if that, and if that I is hope your experience. That's, yeah. I'm yeah. so sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry for that. But there, you know, when church is doing church is like the best thing and the worst thing, you know, when church is doing church, well, it's, it's like, so it's like the most beautiful thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can be really, if we're not doing that, then it can be really destructive. So, all right. Ogechi, this has been an awesome conversation. Thank you so much uh, for your insight and just even having this idea in the first place and allowing you to, <laughs> and, and, and um, letting me bring you on the show to talk about it. I told my listeners at the beginning that by the end, we would give them some practical tips for how to live God's love and know God's love. So is there just like one thing that we've talked about that really stuck with you that you're going to take with you today? Stay prayed up. That's number one. (laughs) But truly entering into the sacraments as regularly as possible. And this is something I remind myself of sacrament of reconciliation and um, participating in adoration as much as you can. And if you can't make it to a chapel, then just finding time 
for silence. That's something my spiritual director harps on me constantly to just to how can you really hear God if you don't quiet yourself to listen? And so trying to find time for silence um, and that making that a, a regular practice, if it's not daily, then weekly um, is really important. And so I feel like those are two things. And um, related to the movie, finding the people that are around you that share in your mission and yeah. keeping them close. Sometimes we collect acquaintances from jobs and hobbies and things like that. And they're great to have, but making sure that the people that are the closest with you that have access to your deepest thoughts and worries and concerns are people that share in the mission of your life and sharing what your mission of life is so that people around you know, and you can weed out those folks that may not be there to help you continue on that journey. Awesome. I think what stuck with me is when we were talking about the devil and talking about how, it, you know, you don't want to make him a scapegoat, but you also like need to recognize that he is a real presence in our minds and in, in our, in our lives. And we need to soak ourselves in, in, in prayer and in God's grace by all the various different avenues to be able to combat that. And I was reminded of something uh, my spiritual director said to me once when I was going through a hard time and I was like, am I under spiritual attack or am I just like having anxiety or like what, what is going on here? And he was like, why does it have to be one or the other? Like the, it, mm. it can all be together and integrated. And we are an integration of body and soul. That's what we believe as, as Christians, is we are both a body and a soul. That's why the resurrection of the body is so important. And so when we are affected by evil in this world, it's going to happen both at the spiritual and the physical level. And so um, that's, that's just something, something good to remember. And I am also going to try to remember to stay prayed up. So, all right. And speaking of saying prayed up, I often ask my guests at the end, if they would close this in prayer, just reflecting on some of the things we talked about, would you be willing to pray for us? Absolutely. I actually right. wanted to use a prayer that um, my spiritual director shared with me. Great. Listeners, wherever you are, take a moment to pause and uh, Ogechi is going to lead us in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, grant me the grace to empty myself and be filled with your love, peace, patience, compassion, mercy, forgiveness, and understanding. Let every beat of my heart and every breath that I breathe be for you. Let every word that I speak be reflective of you. Let every glance I give be a mirror of you. Let every hand I touch feel your gentle care. Let every step I take be on your path towards your light. Let every word of praise I may receive be directed to you in humble thanksgiving. Let every angry word said to me or against me be returned with words of love and mercy, not anger and revenge. Let every desire I have be for you. Let my will conform to yours. Touch every cell of my body, Lord, and make me the person, the person, the servant you want me to be. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. It sounds like a worship song. <laughs> like every beat of my heart, every breath. I love it. Very good. Well, thank you, Ogechi. If people want to know more about you and find you, uh, where should they go? You can follow, find me on getchmeifyoucan.com and I'm on social media as getchmeifyoucan on Twitter and on Instagram. Very good. And we'll put all that in the show notes as well as your article that you wrote for or your blog that you wrote on this movie. So thank you so much for all that, that you're doing in ministry and uh, for just being with us. And thank you listeners for being with us today. If you 
value this episode, if you valued some of the insights, if you think somebody you know might benefit from it, the best way you can help us out is by sharing this. If you could just share the link, take a screenshot, send us somebody and just say, hey, I think you'd really like this episode. That really helps our show. Our show's been growing a lot in the last few months and it's because of listeners like you doing that. And if you want to go the extra mile and really help us out, you can go to popculturecatechism.com and become a patron of the show by making a monthly donation. There are six levels of which the, of by which you can give and each level comes with a different set of perks and whatever level you're at, you get exclusive content uh, for every episode. So after this episode, if you're a patron, you can go to uh, the Awaken app and go to the Pop Culture Catechist community and you will get even more of what we've been talking about. Um, but also all the talks I give in my speaking ministry go in there. And then whenever Awaken Catholic does like a Lenten initiative or an Advent initiative, all that stuff is uh, available for patrons as well through the Awaken app. Speaking of the Awaken app, it is a free app. It's not just for patrons. You get lots of premium content if you're a patron, but it's open for everyone. It's got a great Christian prayer library, great Christian music music library uh, with lots of cool Catholic artists. And it's also a good Catholic Christian community. Uh, if you're looking for somewhere that is not as toxic as some other social media sites, you can go there. And it's also a hub for all the shows. And then of course, if you're a patron, you get access to all the premium content as well. And the, uh, the app just got a brand new spanking new update. So it's beautiful and more user-friendly than it ever has been. So definitely if you don't have the Awaken app, check it out. Thank you so much, listeners. We love you very much, and we will see you next time. But before we go, I need to say thank you to my patrons, specifically uh, Carl and Melissa Gore, Lisa and Bob Tenney, Maggie and Steve Hubbard, Emily and, and Tom Camberiati, and Darlene and Jay McCaffrey. Thank you so much. And to all our patrons and to all of you listeners, peace out. We'll see you later.